Hello everyone, welcome once again to A Reason for Hope. We're glad that you are joining us or stumbled upon our broadcast. A Reason for Hope is an hour-long live broadcast which is guided for the most part by your questions on the Bible. That's right, you can send in your questions through the multiple uh, live online platforms that we have and we will use God's Word, the Bible, to answer those questions. So you, you may have a question on a verse or passage of scripture, maybe the Bible as a whole, maybe the Christian worldview, maybe something that you're going on, something going on in your own world going through, and you'd like a, a biblical perspective on that, maybe even other religions and worldviews. Really, any honest question along those lines, as long as you know that the Bible is the source of the answers for us here on A Reason for Hope, uh, then it's all fair game over here. My name is Dave Robson. I'll be hosting today and keeping an eye on the, all those platforms as your questions come on in. We encourage you to send them in early. Sometimes we run out of time. Uh, so get your questions in and we can try and allot the time to them today. With us today, Pastor Peter Martin is with us once again. <laughs> good to see you. Hey, How you doing? Doing good. Doing good. You're doing good? Yeah. Thanks for making the time to be this here. Is, this is the Peter week, by the way. This is the Peter week? Yeah. Yes. Here every day. Every day. <laughs> Minus Friday. Oh, yeah. No, Same we're, here. We're going to make them come in Friday, too. No, never mind. I'll be here Friday. <laughs> 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 Actually, right. I don't even know. <laughs> Maybe I'll be here well, Friday. <laughs> today, if you hear you the voice of the see. Lord. Yeah. <laughs> today is the day. Also with us, uh, uh, Bo Ouellette, who's the assistant pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship. Good to see you as well. Good to see you, too. How are you doing? Awesome. Yeah? Yeah, got it's a fun lot to of, be here. You've got a lot of papers in front of you. <laughs> Always. Brought all your homework and everything. I could just bring a laptop. You <laughs> but or I'm showing old. my age. You are, yeah, bringing the paper, bringing the paper indeed. You got your Rolodex. That's your right. File cabinet. That's right. <laughs> we'll see. Maybe Three we can have a, <laughs> like a question off. See who can get the answer first using laptop. It'd be or like paper. John Henry versus the machine, man. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, actually, that's a that's an American tall tale. You wouldn't know. That As one, no, no. I'm just I just nod along, just like usual. That's all I do. <laughs> just nod along, with you guys. Well, thank you for being here. We're excited to see where God's going to lead the show. Of course, it's based on your questions, so we never quite know. But uh, once again, send your questions in, and I'll be watching for those as they come on in. As I mentioned, A Reason for Hope is a live broadcast. We're with you weekdays, Monday through Friday. In case you don't know what a weekday is, <laughs> I say some things that are so redundant. And we have a live audience today, too. We have a live audience. Oh, we do, yes. A, a audience member. A massive singular. sea of a crowd. <laughs> <laughs> Which is great. What is what is the singular for audience? Just audience. Audi the representative <laughs> member of the online that's, audience. That's right. We do. Um, anyway, we're with you Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. here, Mountain Standard Time. We're in Tucson, Arizona. Uh, it's a ministry of Calvary Christian fellowship here in tucson so if you're in the tucson area and would like to check us out you're more than welcome uh, to do that you can go to our website calvarychristianfellowship.com <laughs> stop it bo i will take my sweet time bo's giving me the hurry up sign i don't know why i'm going to do that during every question that he answers um if you're in the tucson arizona area we're near prince and i-10 so you're welcome to come if you're looking for a place to fellowship but of course check our website out as i mentioned calvarychristianfellowship.com if you go to that watch live tab that will take you to our live page and we are streaming live right there. Whenever we're live, you'll find us there on that page. And you can sign in with a username and be part of the broadcast through the chat function. Uh, when we're offline, you'll see that countdown and you'll see a schedule of upcoming events. So you won't have to miss anything. The direct link for that, if you just type in ccftucson.online.church, that will take you directly there as well. Uh, we're on Facebook. If you look for Calvary Christian Fellowship at Tucson once again, or facebook.com slash ccftucson, that will take you to that page. Don't forget to like and share. We'd appreciate that. But that's another way you can send your question in. I'll be watching the, the chat box and uh, receive your questions there as well, loud and clear. 
we have an app for your mobile device. Look for, you've guessed it, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. You can download our mobile app on your iPhone or your Android. And we also have a channel on Roku or Apple TV. Um, so go to your channel store, look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, and you can watch us on your big screen. How exciting for you and all your family. We're on YouTube as well. A Reason for Hope is the name of the channel there on YouTube. A Reason for Hope. It's a great place to go for archive. If you follow that live tab, anytime we've been live, it archives right there. So if you missed the show or you just want to recap or even check out our services here at CCF, it's all right there for you on YouTube. Once again, don't forget to like and subscribe and click the notification bell. That all helps us grow the ministry and uh, gives us a further reach as well, which is exciting. Our senior pastor here, Scott Richards, he's not with us today or this week actually he'll be back next week but he's on twitter if you look for scott um, r4h that's scott letter r press too many buttons at once we are scrolling everywhere here we are scott r4h and he posts highlights from the show and kind of commentary on world events from a prophetic and end times and biblical perspective and all that good stuff so if you're on twitter um, follow along with pastor scott that would be Great. We're on Rumble as well. We post our archives there. So uh, that's a newer to us platform. But if you look for a reason for hope, Bible Q&A, you'll find us there on Rumble. And we have an email address, questionsforhope at gmail.com. Questionsforhope spelled out at gmail.com. You're welcome to email us there anytime with your questions or comments. And if you're listening to us on the radio, you're listening to the last show that we did pre-recorded. So we're glad you're joining us on Reach Radio or one of the other radio affiliates. But you'll want to use that email address, questionsforhope at gmail.com. As I mentioned, you are listening to the last show we did. Uh, but consider joining us on one of our live platforms sometime when you're not on your drive time. So there you go. That's all the ways that you can join us. Obviously, if you're seeing or hearing us, you've already found a way. Um, but it's good to know other methods to find us as well. But um, should we pause to pray? Let's do that. Bo, would you like to? to pray Let's for do us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that'd be great you remember how to do that yes right. i do <laughs> that's good it's been a while it's been a while it's been minutes it's been a long time since i talked to the almighty <laughs> you guys are too much <laughs> oh my gosh let's pray father we thank you so much for our time together and I just thank you so much for uh this uh wonderful platform that we get to share your word with people. We pray that you prepare our hearts and their hearts as well, and that you would uh, speak through us, Lord, your Holy Spirit would do that great work of glorifying uh, your name, Jesus, the name above all names. And so we give you this time, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, I have um, a couple of questions already, unless you guys had anything you wanted to share as we kick off today. It's up to you guys. We always have stuff to share. We're waiting for our Blaze Pascal questions that we've been kind of waiting to do for a week. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so we're going to get. And you're going to wait longer. <laughs> we're going to yeah. wait a little longer because people have questions. <laughs> yeah. Well, how about that? How about we deal with some questions and I can yeah. look on the platforms and maybe halfway through we can jump into them. Some we'll of that crank stuff. We'll yeah. Crank them fast, right. man. Well, a question. This is a good question from David. Um, is the Catholic Church the true church? Um, and maybe for someone who's not familiar or a newer believer or someone curious, like what is, maybe give an overview of what is the separation of Catholic and Protestants and all the denominations? It's kind of confusing. Yeah. I know I've spoken to people who are not believers, just like, you know, you guys can't even figure it out. There's, you know, 
Baptists and Pentecostal and Catholic and all that, Mormons and that, you know, all that stuff, and they kind of lump it in together. But, but is the Catholic Church the true church is the question. Uh, yeah, no, it's a very good question. So uh, when we're talking about the church and we go into the scriptures and we ask, like, what the church is, so uh, Jesus used the word in the gospel accounts, and the word that he's using is the Greek word ecclesia, and it means a gathering together of individuals or peoples. So uh, Jesus is very familiar with that because at the time that he is speaking, the Jews had already set up a way to keep religious cohesion throughout not only the nation of Israel, but also outside because the Jews had been scattered at this point by the Babylonian exile and the Assyrian exile and a bunch of stuff historically that we don't have time to get into right now. Mm -hmm. But one of the ways that they kept uh, together is when there was, I believe, 10 able-bodied men in a given area, they would set up what was called a synagogue, right? Um, and th there's another word that comes from it, a synod, or uh, that's S-Y-N-O-D. And that's, again, like a gathering together of believing people where they could study the Torah, they could study the Tanakh, they could worship God, they could pray, right? All these things that we understand to be functions within the church, they already did in the times that Jesus was growing up and preaching. So when Jesus is talking about the ecclesia, the, the coming church, what he's talking about is a different type of gathering of individuals faithful specifically to him and his messianic ministry. Now, when he's using the word, he's not thinking of a church building or edifice or governmental structure. He's thinking about a gathering together of people from the ascension that he was going to have after his resurrection all the way until his return. And so this church, this capital C church, would be essentially garnered by people who just had common faith, right? A common faith in Jesus Christ, regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of their, the language that they spoke, regardless of their gender, and regardless of their geographical location or even their chronological uh, location, right? Because the church spans this 2,000 plus year period of human history. Um, so when people say the true church, what they mean is, is the true gathering of people who have faith in Jesus Christ. And what does that comprise, right? What does it take to be a follower of Jesus? What does it take to say that I am a member of the one true church? And there's been a lot of division throughout church history, as you would expect. Once human beings get their hands on stuff, uh, things get overly complicated and they end up becoming very stupid. So we either, if you look at church history, there are times where the church is way too universal meaning that there are way too many people that are being allowed into the quote-unquote one true, true church. And then there are times where the church becomes too restrictive, right? They're like, only we exist as Christians and everyone else does not. So you have different divisions or schisms, that's the word that's used uh, primarily throughout church history, the schismatas. And uh, essentially they happen for different reasons. So the first one that happened was between the East and the West, and it really had uh, pretty much all to do with the the Pope. So there was a governmental structure that existed throughout the early church, and every church has it. You know, if you go to a local church, you're going to have your elders, you're going to have your head pastor, you're going to have various uh, overseers, bishops, deacons, you know, these are all designations of like church leadership. Now, the question was always, should there be kind of a superstructure? So kind of like if you have your local government, should there be like a federal government kind of a deal? One, one body that would govern all churches throughout the world. And so that slowly started to develop. And in Rome, the power rested with one guy, the Bishop of Rome. And he claimed to derive his power from Peter, the apostle. And he said, you know, I sit in the seat of Peter. And he started making 
decisions that encompass the entirety of the church. The people in the East were like, we don't really like this, this doesn't really seem biblical, so they broke off and they created what's called the Orthodox denomination, and they exist in the Eastern part. So people today are called Eastern Orthodox, and that's where they find their fealty to. Um, then there was a couple other schisms that happened that I'm not going to get into. The, the big one that most people think about is the Protestant schism. So what happened was a group of people mainly rallied around this guy named Martin Luther, and the Pope was creating a lot of dogmatic statements, meaning uh, statements that he's like, I have the authority to talk about this because I'm the Pope, and therefore my word, when I speak in a very particular manner, it's called ex cathedra, if I speak in a very particular manner, it is just as authoritative over your life as Scripture, right? That was the claims of the Pope. And there was a couple things that he said that really rubbed guys like Martin Luther the wrong way. A big one was the concept of indulgences. So the, the Pope said that there's a such thing as purgatory, right? If you die and you're faithful to God, but you're not like super faithful to God, you've made some mistakes, you don't have as much grace as you need in your life to go right to heaven, you'll go to kind of this uh, holding cell period where God, and this is a quotation from a Catholic leader, will hug the hell out of you, right? He will he will actually uh, move you into a place where doesn't you're... Doesn't sound so bad. Yeah, it doesn't sound that bad, <laughs> but it is that bad. <laughs> no, and so you're being, you're being purged. That's, that's where the word yeah. comes from. You're being purged of your wickedness. So you're not going to go to hell, but you're going to spend a determinate amount of time, depending on how unsanctified you are, suffering, being purged of your sins until you could ascend into heaven. Yeah. Now, an indulgence was a way to kind of cut your time down, right? So you'd give money or some sort of a, a favor to the church, and it would cut some of the time of you or your relatives down in the purgatory place, mm. and you could go to heaven faster. So Martin Luther really didn't like that because it sounded a little like extortion, because <laughs> it kind of was, you know? And so he was like, we shouldn't do this. And so he wrote the famous 95 Theses. Uh, and these were just statements where he was like, 95, just think of it that way, 95 statements, where he's like, I disagree with what the Catholic Church is doing. And from that, he was trying to debate the church and it slowly developed. And eventually a lot of these guys started to say, wait, wait, is it even biblical to have this superstructure? Is it even biblical to have a central church in Rome that's going to rule all the other churches? Uh, is it biblical to have a pope in the first place? And so they started thinking about it and they started to say, well, no, I don't think so. I think the only infallible rule that we have to believe in God comes through scripture. I don't, I don't think any human being, no matter how holy or religious or, uh, you know, what proven track record they might have, or any edifice, no matter how long it's lasted, is as authoritative as the Word of God, because God didn't inspire those things. They've existed for a long period of time, so that means that there might be wisdom that we could get from it, but it's not it's not objectively true all the time. It's not as true as the Word of God. And so because of those issues, they protested against the Catholic Church, and they were basically excommunicated, and then they started their own kind of denomination called the Protestant denomination. Now, there were other schisms that happened within Protestantism. You know, you mentioned like the Baptists, the Lutherans, the Methodists, the Episcopalians. I'm not going to bore you guys with all the differences there, but it usually has a lot to do with church leadership and governance. That, yeah. That's usually why these schisms happen. But essentially, there's a lot of gray area into what we consider the true church, though. Uh, at this show, we try to keep it as broad as possible. We try to say that if you believe that uh, if you if you have common faith in who God is, right, that we believe yeah. in one monotheistic God as revealed in scriptures that created the heavens and the earth, 
and that we believe that God manifested himself in the person of Jesus Christ, right, was incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ, who is co-equal with God, and that that person, the second person of the Trinity, laid down his life and died for your sins, and that by believing in him alone, you might have salvation, you might come into union with God and be forgiven and redeemed in your soul for the things that you've done wrong. And the place that you're going to derive that information is going to be primarily Scripture. If, you, mm-hmm. if we have commonality there, we would consider you a member of the one true, the true church, church, right? Uh, Catholics might disagree. Some Catholics would agree with what I just said. They would say, hey, we have some disagreements about who the Pope is and the indulgences and the sacramental system and things like that. But ultimately, yeah, we're all part of the one true church. Some Catholics would disagree, though. They would say, no, 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 because you guys have broken off from us and you're not receiving dogmatic truth from the Pope, and you're not receiving the sacramental system, mm-hmm. you are not saved. You do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So uh, that, that's kind of, I guess, a down and dirty summary of it. What would you, <laughs> yeah. what would, what would you Yeah, I, I would that? say it's a great question. I, I, I love that question. You know, what yeah. is the true church? You know, yeah. um, you always have to remember that when you're talking about the history of the world, um, a big topic that comes up is literacy. And especially with this topic of, I know that sounds weird of answering a question about the one true church, but, um, you know, when you look at church, uh, the Catholic church especially, and its power, um, you know, you have to remember that in history there was a lot of people that were not literate, and they, they looked to power structures, what we call he- hegemonical power structures, to, in a sense, dictate what was true and what wasn't Mm. true, because people just did not have the education to be able to read and study themselves. Now, the reason why I say that is because there was an environment to which Catholicism flourished in, and it was a very high, illiterate Mm. world um, to which it... Now, it wasn't just Catholicism, but it was just incredible centralized power structures and and um, that flourished in those days. And we can even see it today where, um, you know, wh- when you lack an understanding of something, then you tend to trust in power structures. Yeah. And, and quote, the smart people. Yeah. Quote, the scientists yeah. or whatever. In the know? medical field, especially. The medical you, field, you that's just right. put yourself in the hands of the of doctors. People. That's and, right, yeah. because you're not literate. Right, you yeah. don't know. I mean, I'm literate, but yeah, I know. <laughs> but you know what? I'm, <laughs> yeah, in that. Yeah, period, yeah, we're not we're not educated right. as what we think doctors are. Right, and so, so that was the environment where a lot of this, as what Peter's saying, where Catholicism really grew um, out of. And so, you know, people, it, it, and the reason why I bring it up is because me being a stupid socal party boy who drank a ton of beer in the backyard just pumping kegs you know pumping the keg all the time just me stupid dude right pick up a bible start reading the bible yeah and because i knew how to read i start finding something really interesting i start asking these interesting questions like you know what i don't see a pope in the bible Yep. Or like, man, you know what? I don't see people praying to saints. Or you know what? I, I I don't understand why people say Mary is a virgin. And all of a sudden, you start questioning, you know, power structures yep. because the clear reading of the scripture is just—it's not there. Right. All this stuff that you've been taught 
is just not there. You'd have to read some church historian to find anything about it. Mm. It's just not in the text, Mm. you know? And, and so that's why I'm saying, like, literacy really brings about an issue, yeah. right? Because you start learning about something and you go, whoa, you start questioning, you know, hey, what, what does this mean? You know, Jesus made it pretty interesting in Matthew chapter 16. Um, you know, some of them, uh, so he says, hey, who do, who, does this, uh, who do people say that I am? You know, Jesus asked, right? And so they said, some say you are John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But he said, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Sounds awesome, right? Jesus answered and said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Barjona. The flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And, he, and, and Jesus goes on and says, and I also pray that you are Peter. And I say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So Jesus, upon this confession of Peter on who the Christ is, Jesus says, I'm going to build my assembly. Hmm. It's, It's on that idea of the confession of Peter, right, that Jesus is the Christ. And so those who are part of the one true church definitely see Jesus as the true Messiah that has come into the world, the one who is God in human flesh, who the Old Testament said it would be Yahweh that would come and teach his people. Um, and, uh, and he would teach him in the temple. And Jesus even quoted those passages and said, hey, this is happening right here before you. Mm. Um, and really, it's an extension. The idea of true church is an extension of the Old Testament church. Mm. Um, I was just talking to Peter before uh, the show about uh, Nehemiah and how in Nehemiah 8, it starts off, now all the people gather together as one person mm. in the open square. The idea was that Israel was together as one yeah. under the covenant of Moses. That's the idea of church. That's yeah. the idea of assembly. And so th- when Jesus is just reiterating this idea that the true church is under me, right. it's the group that is under me, you know, that's the idea there. Yeah. And uh, um, so, um, you know, the one true church is the one that, like Peter listed out, is, you know, of course, understands who Christ is, right. you know. Yep. And so, you know, um, I mean, anybody could tell somebody, like, who Christ is. You could say, well, this is what Jesus expects of you, and this is what Jesus said, and things like that. But the ability to read yourself and, and is amazingly awesome, Yeah. you know, um, so that you can really know, you right. know, what it's saying. Yeah, and a true church should be encouraging its people to get in the Scripture themselves, right? If, yeah. if a church says, you, you know, don't, read the but you know the scripture you need <laughs> to just be taught because this is a holy book for us to handle and you know that's kind of a red flag yeah yeah <laughs> yeah that would be a really red flag yeah. right there and remember the church taught in latin for a number of years and would only teach in latin uh you know the catholic church for a long long time mm. and uh and unfortunately that's what um um, a lot of people didn't understand that language you mm. know so it was really amazing what wycliffe and Tyndale, 
these people in church history trying to get the Bible in the common person's language right. um, and how important they were. Yeah. Because when you start now reading it and you start going, you know, the Catholic Church probably would, would have looked at it in today's terms as what Tyndale and what Wycliffe did in history as misinformation. Mm. You know, they were creating misinformation, mm. you know. But Tyndale and Wycliffe and many others laid their life on the, uh, the line yeah. to, and took numbers of years, imprisonments, even martyrdom, you know, to literally put the Bible yeah, in a common person's language yeah. where it was no longer just in Latin, um, you know, because they knew that if people read it, they would go like, wait, yeah. what are we doing? Right. Like, where is this at? And right. I, think, I think there's another important thing in what you're saying, and that is that even to this day, there's a, a lot of comfort in having like this superstructure, right? Going in and having these experts tell you like, hey, it's not just what we think the Bible is saying. Like we are just as inspired as the scripture. Like the Pope is just as inspired. Like these traditions are not just things that we've developed over time and we think it's the best way to worship God. It's, no, 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 like this is from God. This like, is when, an extension of the the canon that's of right. scripture this is the canon of scripture is the the books that we have of the bible exactly. this is an extension an apostolic extension if you will and you actually you know you mentioned jesus a little earlier you actually see the same exact comfort happening in jesus's day where you have the law given by god to yep. moses and then you had an oral tradition called the mishnah that had developed over time underneath the various rabbis and teachers and Pharisees and think people like that, and they were interpreting the the law, but it was supposed to be on par with the law. It's in fact some Jews today hold the Mishnah and the Gemara. Uh, I'm not going to get into what those are real quick, but uh, the Mishnah and Gemara above the actual. Tanakh, the actual scriptures that they had received, and Jesus had to rebuke them. So whenever you read in the Bible and Jesus says, "Have you not read?" He's being a little facetious there. It's a little tongue-in-cheek. What he's saying is like, have you guys just read the Bible? You know, you're all into your traditions and stuff. And he actually says that. He says, you take the traditions of men and you make them the word of God. And he condemns them. So there's a lot of comfort we can get as human beings going into the Bible and being like, man, what the heck does this mean? And having a guy who has like all this authority vested in him tell you like, this is what it means. This is definitively what it means, and there's no room for debate or other interpretations. That, there's a lot of comfort there. It's a little bit more scary to, like, what you did, just read it and be like, I don't see those things there, you know? Like, yeah. maybe maybe they're not there. I didn't and, see you the know. stained glass church <laughs> right. in the Bible. Right. And then other people are saying, yeah, I don't see it either. Maybe we're right. And, you yeah. know, like, it's a little scary That's to right. say that. Because now you're you're going against all this tradition and all these like emphatic statements, and it's just little old you, and it, it's a little tough to do that. And uh, it's it, like I said, you you might be wrong. And so in Protestantism, that's why you're going to see in, in good Protestant churches, you're not going to see these kind of dogmatic statements of this is 100% how to take this passage, mm. right? On the on the really clear kind of what I laid out: who is God? What is the gospel? Who is Jesus? What did He do for us? These passages have a lot of clarity, and we have unity within Christendom. But then there are a lot of passages that are ambiguous, and we have to take humility as Protestants and say, hey, look, this is some of the ways that Christians throughout time have taken this. This is the way that I see it. 
it could be right, it could be wrong, and you know, we have to kind of just rest on faithfulness to God and realize that if God wanted us to know this emphatically, he would have described it emphatically, and we just need to be faithful to what he has revealed clearly to us, and that's the important thing. That doesn't sit well with a lot of people. They want that kind of authority stamp on their beliefs to give them that comfort. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting, when Paul was writing uh, his protege Timothy, in First Timothy, he talks about, hey, these are the things I write to you that I hope to come to you shortly, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, mm-hmm. and it says, um, which is the church of the living God, mm-hmm. And, and he's writing Timothy while Timothy's in Ephesus, right? So you would go, oh, so Ephesus has to be the place of the living God? Well, no, he's talking about the assembly <laughs> right. of right. the living God, yeah. right. Uh, right? The people, right? And the church of the living God. And he says the church of the living God is the pillar and the ground of the truth. Hmm. It's the pillar and ground of the truth. And just like in Ezra and Nehemiah's day when... They, when Nehemiah and Ezra would break down the word of God before the people, which many of them probably illiterate, they cried yeah. and mm. they wept yeah. Yeah. and they were blown away on just how far away they had gotten mm. from the word, yeah. you know, and, and that's where Paul, an educated man of his day, uh, and Timothy, an educated man of his day, who were able to read and to write, and these people they had a really important role in their day to be able to share what was the true uh, the true truthfulness yeah. of Jesus, right. the person of Jesus Christ. Right. And so, you know, going back to this question of like, would we exclude certain people and say you are not a part of the one true church? And the answer is obviously yes, right? So you mentioned Mormons earlier. Mormons do not agree with us on who the person of God is. And it's not us, it's just on the scriptures. Right, right. So we're deriving this truth from the scriptures. So Mormons say that, that God was once a man who ascended to Godhood through faithfulness to gospel principles. They believe that Jesus is one of the spirit children of Elohim the Father, and we are all descendants of Elohim the Father as well. Uh, they believe that he essentially became God through acting out his life as the Savior but we also will become gods through Mm -hmm. our faithfulness to the gospel principles, if you're actually faithful. So they're adding to not only who, they're they're subtracting things from who God is, they're adding things to who God is, they're changing the nature of man, and they're changing the nature of how we become to know God. Because for them, it's you have to adhere to gospel principles in order to ascend to be with God. Uh, For us, we believe it's by grace through faith, right? That not of works, lest any man should boast. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, Jehovah's Witness, same deal. They say that Jesus is a created uh, angelic being from Jehovah the Father. He is the first and greatest, but he's still a created being. He is not God. Uh, They believe that we, again, we ascend to be with God through faithfulness to their principles, to their law, and the things that they've constructed through the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. That's how you come into union with God. So because of that, we would say, okay, we reject you too. You're not of the one true church because you reject these things. Uh, Same with a lot of Catholics. Uh, There are some Catholics who see sacraments like the Eucharist, taking of communion, as being a sacrificial ritual, right? They believe that Jesus is re-offering himself on the altar before God, and as you're taking it in, it's actually having a salvific, right, a saving effect in your life. It's actually forgiving you actively for things that you're doing. Mm -hmm. 
So for that, we would say that seems like adding to the gospel. You're, you're, you're being unified to God through this ritual system, through your sacraments. Uh, so again, modern, many modern Catholics don't believe that, but in their, their catechisms and in their uh, traditional belief systems, that's what's inherent within their... Right. And even text, today's so. Protestantism, there's many different sects of Protestantism yeah. that have people that believe in interesting, they believe there's no such thing as Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the unity of the one God. Yeah, we talk about progressive Christians. Progressive Christians yeah. that don't believe Jesus is really the manifestation of God in human flesh. They believe more of a Gnostic kind of version in, in a lot of ways. And so, um, you know, so, you know, the true church is a spiritual church yeah. and it's under the umbrella and the lord you know under the 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 master the lord's the lord of jesus christ yeah. and um, but it's it's we have to know the truth you know we right. we can't trust in a lie and somehow get into heaven based on a lie yeah um that would make no sense at all absolutely you know yeah <laughs> so it has to be rooted in truth so Education becomes very important, um, whether it's in a church or whether it's us individually, right. you know. Right. Very good. And David, thank you for that, that question, a great question. We um, um, sparked a really great discussion, so thank you for that. Um, we have another question from Adam. Should we follow seemingly fringe or irrational laws? Um, and he, for instance, he said getting a permit to change your washing machine out. So like these little laws that are technically a law but you know i kind of think of like maybe hoa things where we cut corners oh. or you know what i mean oh, like yeah. little Going things five over the speed limit <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah, that, yeah yeah that could be one i mean yeah. there's little you know little cut corners yeah it's against the law but you know like should, as christians we should be following the the letter of the worldly law or is it okay to kind of use some I really like sense. this question. It's convicting. I think it's convicting for everyone <laughs> listening to it. Not me. Because uh, we're this not. This is how I live. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're not talking about. Uh, and I like the way it's worded. He's not talking about laws that might afflict your conscience, right? So, if a law came down telling you to like persecute the Jews or something like that, uh, we're, we're talking about laws that are good. They're just inconvenient, yeah. right? They're just things that you you don't want to follow the letter of because they're massively inconvenient. Yeah. So, um, biblically, it would be hard you'd be hard-pressed to find a reason to not follow these laws simply because they're inconvenient, right? We're, right. we're supposed to be underneath the state. That's what Romans 13 says. Yeah. We're supposed to be faithful citizens to the state. Yeah. Um, obviously, we're supposed to be discerning about what the state is doing and why. We're supposed to be interactive with the state. Yeah. And yes, if the state starts to do things that are wrong, we're supposed to resist and even rebel against the state. But if it's not doing something wrong, but it's just inconvenient, right? Yeah. So if, if I'm going down a road, and the speed limit is 25, but I believe in my heart it should be 40, right? Uh, that doesn't, my belief and system, about it. and I've prayed about it, you know, <laughs> and I feel good about it, and my driving skills are way better than those idiots that that speed limit was actually made for, right? I'm, I'm cutting corners because of convenience, and yeah. that, that clearly is not good, right? That's not what I ought to be doing. I, I know that this is something I should do, so therefore I ought to do it, right? I, yeah. I ought to be faithful to what has been put in front of me. Now, there are times where, when we're talking about the spirit versus the letter of the law, there are times where laws should be broken, and that is not necessarily that they're immoral, but they're not good for a particular circumstance. So let me give you an example. Let's say, you know, random example, let's, let's say you get stabbed, right? 
uh, should you follow the speed limit on the way to the hospital? Um, well, probably not, right? You, you yeah. should probably get there as quickly as you can um, and, and try to be as safe as you can, but you're trying to get to the hospital. So yeah. it's good to violate the law in that instance. So there are times where you realize, well, what's the spirit of the speed limit? Yeah. Well, the spirit of the speed limit is to preserve life on the road. And so if that following the letter of the law, right, the actual speed limit, uh, actually conflicts with the spirit of the law, I'm supposed to give way to the spirit and not the letter. So if a cop pulled me over while I was driving, let's say my wife went into early labor or something like that, and I was yeah. speeding. If the cop pulled me over and I explained the situation to him, unless he's like <laughs> the biggest jerk on the planet, <laughs> he's not going to write me a ticket. He's probably going to give me an escort to the hospital. Right. right? So that's, uh, that's what we're talking about there. Uh, I hope that helps. Anything you'd like to add to that? Yeah, um, I do want to add a little bit to that. <laughs> Can you do that, Bo? <laughs> I will, I will, you I will. You add away. Um, yeah, I was just looking up the, the term, what the spirit of the law. It's in Corinthians. Mm -hmm. I was trying to find where exactly that's at. The letter of the law kills and the spirit yeah, makes alive. Um, yeah, it's right here. Uh, first, Second uh, Corinthians 3, um, and it says, Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God who has also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Beautiful contrast to the, um, the law that just brought about a curse on us, because, you know, cursed is, it. yeah, cursed is anybody who tries to, or does not do everything that's written in the law. Right. The, that's what the law says, the yeah. Torah. And so the spirit gives life, right? Being born again, born of Jesus's spirit through what? Trusting in the work of Jesus Christ, the atonement and uh, the life that he gives us. Um, um, you know, I think that um, there's these kind of big issues when it comes to, you know, the, you know what you're talking about. Mm. Um, you know, I think a lot of people, I was looking at Hebrews chapter 12. I was looking at, um, oh, I was looking at another passage, but in, it was talking about um, just pursuing peace with all people. Yeah. And, you know, there there's moral laws, and, and then there's, then we have to understand that there's almost like, you know, civil laws like within yep. the land. And then there's like, you know, these laws within your a home, you know, yeah. these little laws that are that, that there's some kind of governing board that's over yep. it in your home. And we have to be able to discern kind of what is the moral law of God? Like what is God's law? Yep. Um, what is um, these people's law <laughs> that's in my HOA or whatever they're called, you know, the yep. homeowners thing? And because whatever the heck, yeah, whatever it is, I don't have one of those. <laughs> but you are blessed, brother. Yeah, yeah but to, like, because the reason why I say it's kind of interesting is because someone could like say, "Well, no, you have to obey all these, all yeah. these things, yeah. right?" I mean, Roman, you mentioned Romans twelve thirteen. I mean, it literally says, "Obey the laws of the land," right? That's yeah. in yeah, 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 which would be a law of the land. Yeah, the, but obey it, them, but but sometimes it can be kind of one of those things where you can almost take it like where it's like, you know, what's the law of this? And what's the law of that? Mm. And it almost becomes like overwhelming. Yeah. Where, like to me, the principles of the book of Romans, you know, live at peace with all people. You know, in Hebrews, live at peace with all people. 
you know, do your best to do the right thing. There's, yeah. I would imagine that within our government, how, how many laws are there in the United States of America? I mean, how big is the book? Yeah. You know, I bet you there's a ton of laws. Yeah. And I would imagine a lot of us don't even know what they are, yeah. you know? Um, but if you know to do the right thing and you don't do it, that's sin. Yeah. So if there's something that, you know, gosh, yeah, it's a little out of your way, but it can lead to peace yeah. in your life, then the principle would be live at peace. Right. You know, do do the right thing. Yeah. Um, you know, but I think you need to be able to discern, you know, hey, what is a, a moral law? Like, you know, what is an ethical kind of solid rock law? Yeah. You know, don't murder. That's a pretty ethical law, yeah. you know, um, you know, things like that. And there's a difference between that and, you know, pull your weeds. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, pulling the weeds is important and it's great, you know, but there there is some there's some leeway there on one of them. And there's not leeway on the other, you know, <laughs> right. meaning there's some laws that there's no leeway at all. And I know there in philosophy, there's a certain term for these kind of distinctions. Mm. Um, but I'm just kind of, as a lay person, just kind of laying it out that we should be able to discern those things, hopefully, in our life where right. we're understanding that there's a difference between certain laws and yeah. other laws. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and what societies are trying to do is they're trying to create laws and punishments for the laws that reflect the importance of them. So right. If I was living in a society that sh that you know executed me for not pulling my weeds, I would say that's that's not a just society, you know. But uh, right. on the flip side, if I lived in a society that say gave me a sternly worded letter for killing my neighbor, I would equally say that's not a just society. Right. So so societies are, are supposed to craft laws and legislation that reflect the moral character of the society that you're in. Like that's that's the whole theory of government that has been developed by the Western world from the Bible, right? Through looking at God's civil law that he gives to his people in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, where you do see laws like that. You know, what happens if your cow kicks down your neighbor's fence? You know, right. Like what happens then, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, there, How's there restitution are, made? Exactly. How's yeah. restitution made? What, what if I have a goat that freaks out and kicks you in the knee, you know, and, yeah. and it puts you on your bed for a week and a half? You yeah. Know? And so there's there's different ways that these laws are enforced. And so different societies, like I said, are trying to work it out. And you may say, right, you may look at the laws of your land and say, these things are unjust. I don't like how strictly this is enforced. I don't think it actually does reflect the spirit of the law that you're uh, restricting this too harshly or you're not restricting it enough. So for instance, I might look at my HOA and let's say they find, so my HOA, the one that me and Dave live in, they find you, I think like, five dollars a week if you leave your weeds it too long yeah. you know i might say like I two dollars for strict. the letter and yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> i might say that's too strict i don't think that's very just i think that they should be doing a, a little bit of a different system but ultimately i'm still called to follow it right I've, yeah. I've signed the contract i've entered into an agreement with my neighbors in the the community that i live in so i'm still supposed to do it i might disagree with the the justice of it and maybe I could fight against it, right? I could go to the homeowners association boards and be like, this is wrong, I don't like this. I could run for HOA president <laughs> if I want to and try to revoke yeah. the law. I'm taking but, you guys down. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, could, I have the freedom and the liberty to do that. But as long as I'm uh, agreeing to something, I have to uphold my, my part of the bargain. Same with 
say like, uh, I disagree with how we penalize rapists in our country. I think that the penalty should be stricter. And I believe that if the rape is at a certain level of depravity and violence, I think that it should be qualified for the death penalty, right? I think it's unjust that we don't do that. So I would fight against that, right? I would fight to make that a more just law. But as long as I'm living under this particular society and the law hasn't changed, I'm not gonna go and pull a vigilante move and hunt down people that are on these, you know, sex offender watch list and start killing them because I think that's just, right? That would not be right for me to do. Yeah. Um, I would be going against the state. Even though I, I, I would feel in my heart that I'm following the spirit of the law, I'm still not invested with the power and the authority to do that by God, right? That's not right. Um, or on the flip side, I think that people who uh, perform abortions should be penalized. I, I don't think that that's just that they're not. But some Christian could go to the side and say, well, because unjust things happen in my civil society, I shouldn't have to obey these laws. That's not true, right? You're a member of the society. You're a member of the state. You should fight to change those laws. But as long as you're a member and you've come into that agreement, that's what it means to be a citizen. Now, you could renounce your citizenship. You could do that. You're free to do it. But as long as you're a citizen of the country and you're reaping the rewards of being a citizen, you have, you have the responsibility to uphold your part of the agreement, right? That's what civil law means. So it's a, it's a really interesting conversation, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, very good. Good question, Adam, thank you for that. Hope that helped you out. It's a great question to think about. Um, <laughs> question from Vaiholi, uh, hope I'm saying your name right. We have people from all around the world. This is the biggest challenge I have in my role here to pronounce <laughs> some of the names. <laughs> but just make it up. Just right? make it up, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can't argue Vaiholi. Uh, do we know what kind of animal it was that Satan possessed in the garden? There's a lot of legless animals. So usually, I mean, traditionally it's a snake, but was it a snake? Do we know what kind of animal that Satan was in the garden? <laughs> <laughs> so there, there are different passages in the Bible that describe Satan's form, and, and it's really ambiguous about exactly what kind of form he was taking. So, for instance, the book of Ezekiel, Satan is depicted as having scales. So it seems as though he had some sort of a scaly appearance. He's a very dry snake. Right. That might be snake. Ezekiel 28. Yeah, uh, Ezekiel 28. It talks about him having timbrels, and it talks about him having scales, which is interesting. Mm. But um, in other passages, he's described as a leviathan, right? A leviathan is described in the book of Job as being a reptile-like underwater dragon-like creature. Yeah. He is described as a dragon in the book of Revelation. And he is described utilizing the word of serpent in the book of Genesis. So was it a literal snake? Was it more of like a dragon-like character uh, characteristic? We're not really sure. Did he possess a corporeal animal in order to communicate with Adam and Eve? Or were Adam and Eve in their unfallen state able to perceive Satan in his spiritual state? Uh, I, I think that's likely, considering the fact that they were God was able to walk with them in the cool of the day. So I think it's likely that in the unfallen state of man, we were able to interact with and perceive the spiritual. Mm. And so maybe the way that Satan was represented is in that of a serpent. We're not really sure. Mm. What's very clear is that the snake is used by God as a character study of how we relate to the demonic, right? So the demonic realm is not depicted by God. Think about it, he could have used any analogy he wanted. He uses a snake, which were more powerful than snakes in one sense, but in another sense, they're more powerful than us, right? They have a venom that could kill us. Yeah. And yet we're stronger than them, we're bigger than them, right? They tend to avoid us for that reason. So we're not really stronger than demons, but they live in this kind of sinister, 
um, unseen way, and yeah. they have like a venom that can kill us, right? They could, uh, by participating in the rebellion against God, our sin is separating us from God and killing us, right? Yeah. That's what's happening to us. Yet God gives the promise that Jesus will eventually, right, the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. So there's this idea that there will be a son of man, there will be a descendant of man that will come about and defeat Satan. So God is, is looking at the snake, and it's not as though the snake used to be able to walk and then God took away its legs. He's saying this is a picture of what's happened to the demonic entities within heavenly spaces. They were able to be in heaven. Now they're cast down, right? They, they have to crawl on their bellies, quote unquote. They have to be on the earth uh, in this time between the, uh, the, the fall of man and the return of Jesus to reestablish the earth under his rule, in which case they will be thrown into hell. That's what we see happen in Revelation chapter 20. So th that's why it's being utilized that way. I, I don't personally believe that Satan uh, possessed a snake in a literal mm -hmm. sense, and I don't believe he took on a form in that way. I, it seems as though when Eve is talking to him, she doesn't seem surprised that he's talking back, which insinuates to me that she had a relationship <laughs> with this being of yeah. some sort, right? So she's not like, whoa, you know, if, right. if I was walking through a garden and a snake started telling me to eat a fruit, I mean, the last thing I would think is, hmm, that's an interesting point. <laughs> right, Let me yeah. have a, an honest dialogue with you <laughs> yeah. about this. I'd be, I would run away. And, Actually, and, snake, <laughs> it says in scripture that blah, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah no, right. I, so it seems like she knew Satan. She yeah. had a relationship with him. And in Ezekiel 28, it actually says that he was the cherubim that covered, that he was in the garden. Mm. So it seems like he had a role in his relationship with man in the Garden of Eden, which is very interesting. And he abused that role in order to cause us to fall. So it, it, a lot of it is insinuation. A lot of it is we're trying to figure it out. We don't really know, but yeah. that's that's my personal belief. But there are other takes, right? Some people do believe he possessed a literal snake. Yeah. Some people do believe that he had a form uh, or he appeared in a form of a snake, right? So he didn't possess a snake, but he just uh, manifested himself in that way. And so God utilized a serpent-like creature as a character study and actually did curse them to crawl on their belly as right. a took way his legs to, away basically. right took the <laughs> legs away in order to depict what happened to satan uh, we're not really sure yeah it's kind of interesting though anything yeah. you want to no it's just a lot of interesting yeah a lot of interesting <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out one day i sure. do i do I've, i always plug this book because i love it so much I, I love the way that john milton depicted it in paradise lost mm. so in paradise lost he does have satan possess a snake mm. and there's a really creepy section in that poem where it describes Satan entering into the body of the snake and you could see it's a it's a demonic incarnation that's how he's trying to depict it mm. that it's a demonic way of Satan violating the sanctity of this free animal in order to deceive us and then later on there's this really cool sequence where after he deceives Adam and Eve and they fall he goes back to hell and he thinks that everyone's going to look at him and they're going to start applauding him uh, for what he did and God, in that instant that he tells them what he did, God transforms them all, all the demons, into a snake form. And so when they're trying to applaud him, they actually hiss at him. Uh. And Milton has this great, I, I'm gonna totally butcher it, it's just such a beautiful segment, where he says, what was intended to be praise came out as hisses, right? So, mm. uh, like, the sense that he's giving is, when you rebel against God, you think you're rebelling for your good and you're gonna get yeah. what you want, but you're getting the opposite, right? Yeah. You're going against your good. Mm. And he curses them also with having like insatiable hunger and thirst, and they can't actually satisfy it. It's it's really creepy mm. section, but it's really good, yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's intense. Yeah. Wow. 
Well, thank you for we're that. All that, spooked out, but now, but yeah, I know. We're all like, whoa. That's Hopefully, uh, let's do something a bit lighter. <laughs> thank <laughs> you for that question. Uh, question from Violetta: Is it okay? I think we talked about this before, but it's a it's a, a good issue to revisit. Is it okay if a husband stays home with the kids, and a woman goes out to become a missionary or, or probably has a career or? <laughs> Traditional guy, are you? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. We'll, we'll yeah. answer that one seriously. It is a very good question. Yeah. Very good question. You, you want to start this one off? Um, Sure. Sure. I, you know, I would look at it like um, I think when I when I look at overall in the Bible, I see that, um, you know, men, uh, there are certain things that men can't do that women can do. And one of those things um, um, I think is very much underplayed in today's world, mm -hmm. uh, and that is... Making babies. Making babies, <laughs> that's right. Uh, men cannot hold a, a child uh, biologically in... They don't have a womb. Not nope. yet. Not <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And, and who said doctors are smarter than yeah, us? Yeah, that's right. And I know that this might seem old and <laughs> traditional, but uh, so old, yeah. you know. But you know, just again, just that you know, just a simple Southern California young boy. <laughs> you know, growing up, there was female dogs and male dogs, and you know, I never saw a male dog ever having babies. It was always the females, and um, and I saw that all growing up, yeah. and um, and even today I still see it. I haven't seen anything <laughs> different, and uh, and so I guess based on scientific empirical evidence of you know test, repeat, and verify, um, you know there is I could say with pretty good confidence that there's uh, something that a woman can't do, and that Men, is. Yeah. A what, or a woman cannot, or a, a, man, ma a man can't do, yeah. and that is, you know, rear kid, uh, yeah. bring kids into the world, and and, um, nourish, them and nourish them. Body. That's right, yeah. and so because of that, I would say, you know, don't underplay that. Yeah. Um, like, don't think like, hey, just because a woman can go work, yeah, a woman can go work, but there it, there might be a forfeiting of something that a man just cannot do you know, in keeping a man home and a woman going out and, and working. Mm -hmm. uh, there might be something that just, uh, that men just can't seem to get get right. Mm -hmm. and, and that is the nourishing part of that child. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, there is a biblical idea in the book of Titus of women, older women teaching younger women. And it says how to be homemakers and take care of their house and you know and you get the idea from the proverb the last proverb in the bible that there's a whole bunch that uh, a godly woman or godly woman can do mm -hmm. uh, and that list is huge and it's part of running businesses and mm -hmm. taking care of the home and i mean it is investing money i mean it is hugely wide yeah. Yeah. And, and so when we talk about, when we use Titus chapter 2, and we see women teach, you know, younger women how to be, in a sense, godly women in their homes and things like that, it's not the absence of being an entrepreneur right. or anything like that. Um, but it's, a, a woman shouldn't be 
in a sense, just handing off something to her husband and saying, hey, you be at home with the kids. I'm going to go do this thing. And, and in a sense, you miss out on what a woman can naturally bring to her children and what a man just can't, isn't able to do, yeah. you know, um, and, and that kind of, I think, I, uh, you know, from what I see biblically speaking, um, uh, I, I think that would be the problem mm-hmm. is, is that you go and you do all your, you know, entrepreneur work, you, you go do your work, but yet you neglect you know, a greater call, yeah. mm-hmm. and that is to to rear your kid. You know, take care of your kids, and that doesn't mean having to be home all the time per se. Right. But but the whole point is just not to neglect. That you have a primary role. You have a primary role, and yeah. you need to give emphasis to that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you know, you see in the Bible, prophetesses, for instance, and some of them work in the government. You know, it's kind of neat in Israel's government. Yeah. Hold a being one of them, but she's not the only one. You know, you, you see hints of these other women that are in the government as well. Deborah, maybe in the book of Judges, right. I, right. I, I think. Yeah, and so, um, you know, they have a profession. <clears throat> They're doing things, yep. you know, but the idea is, you know, the Bible also gives this primary, you know, call. And I think as a man, too, it's like, you know, um, there's you know, there's something I need to work on too, as far as my primary role as well. Mm. Um, And that is there's something interesting about learning how to lay down your life for your wife. Yeah. And, and by going out and earning a living. Amen. We're out of time. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you tomorrow. Same time, same place. God bless you. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's word. One question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.